Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, with your host, Alan Weiner. Over the next hour, you'll explore the innovative and ever-evolving solutions in everyone's favorite topic, food. Now, here's your host, Alan. Greetings, everybody, from the Sunshine State. My name is Alan Weiner, and I'm your host for Food Forward, Nourishing the World, here on Voice America. Each week, we will explore the innovations and trends shaping the future of food. From sustainability to technology, we'll uncover the flavors of tomorrow. Plainly speaking, we will discuss all things food, some crucial to our well-being and some just for fun. Today, we're diving deep into the heart of innovation in the food space. From the meals we serve our pets to the very bread that graces our tables, innovation is reshaping how we think about nourishment. Joining us are two trailblazers, Sharon, Shannon Falconer, the visionary behind BioCraft's revolution in healthy pet food, and Fred Benenson, the genius who's ensuring our sourdough starters are pitch perfect with breadwinner. Together, we'll explore the future of food where passion meets purpose. If you miss an episode of Food Forward Nourishing the World, it will be available after airing on my Voice America show page and through all leading podcast platforms. I like to think of it as radio on demand. The audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you. You can email me at alan at foodforwardradio.com and or follow the show on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And da 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 da, -da our brand new website, www.foodforwardradio.com. Today on Food Forward Nourishing the World, we have a special guest with us, Dr. Sharon Falconer, the visionary CEO of BioCraft Pet Nutrition, a pioneering biotech company that's revolutionizing the pet food industry. With a strong academic background, Shannon left her postdoctorate research fellowship at the esteemed Stanford University to embark on a mission to create nutrient-rich pet food that champions both environmental sustainability and animal welfare. Under her leadership, BioCraft has achieved remarkable milestones, including the development of a groundbreaking alternative to fetal bovine serum, setting the stage for a more sustainable future in pet nutrition. So without further ado, let's welcome Sharon Falconer to the show. Shannon, thanks so much for joining us. I know that you have a very, very busy schedule. Um, I did a pretty good amount of research, mostly um, not only am I interested in, in the work that you do, but I'm very interested in the health of my beloved rescue golden retriever. Great. Hi, Alan. Thank you very much for having me on the show. So, Shannon, let's start with um, a question that, you know, I think was raised perhaps uh, during your interview that I watched on, on YouTube. What inspired you to leave your work at Stanford and venture into the world of cultured meat for pets? Yes, great question. Well, I I grew up with three dogs and three cats. I developed a very close relationship with animals, uh, non-human animals at a young age. And um 
And it was in my early teens, I stopped eating meat for animal welfare reasons. And then in my late teens, early 20s, started volunteering with uh, animal rescue organizations. And I've been involved in animal rescue of some kind ever since. But my my career path uh, was it was uh, totally unrelated to anything um, anything to do with uh, four legged animals, and I am a biochemist by training. And I'd say it was when I was yes when I was working uh, as a postdoc at Stanford University. So I I was in a place in the world that where you know it was it's really quite a magical place where anything and everything is possible. And it was here, and I would say, you know, on Stanford campus where nine out of 10 people have, have their own startup. And it was here that I really developed the courage to say, you know, I, there's something that I want to do with my, my scientific training as a biochemist. And that's something that I want to do is apply my scientific training to taking animals out of the supply chain because oh, that is what is most important to me. And if I can couple what is most important to me with um, with doing something that I intellectually that I enjoy so much, which is science, well, then that's just perfect. Um, and that's when um, that's when Biocraft, which formerly called Because Animals, but that's when the company founded. So that's a, that you walked into my next question. So Biocraft mm-hmm. was formerly known as Because Animals. What prompted the name change? And how does it reflect the company's evolution? Yeah, great question. So when we started the company as Because Animals, um, we were focused on a, we we had envisioned that we would eventually create cultured meat and sell under our own brand, Because Animals, uh, as a consumer-facing brand. Um, and so along the way, we started to, um, because of course it takes some time and it takes a lot of resources to develop cultured meat. So in the process, we said, okay, let's let's launch uh, let's launch the company with some other um, uh, foods uh, that are not made with cultured meat. Um, and so we did that. And I think something that became very clear uh, along the way was that um, really, what I think most in certainly most investors, but also importantly, with what what pet food manufacturers and what customers really, really are the most interested in. Um, it's specifically cultured meat because this is the revolutionary ingredient. This is really the ingredient that um, will set the industry apart in terms of sort of a demarc a before and an after in terms of sustainability and in terms of uh, a humane ingredient, a truly humane ingredient. And so late last year, in tw- late 2022, we decided that uh, as a team of mostly scientists, um, you know, we were, we were very, very well cut out, uh, to, to focus on creating this ingredient, this cultured meat. And so that's when we decided that we would sunset the, uh, the consumer facing brand side of the company, which was because animals to really focus exclusively on what we do best, which is science. Um, and what we believe is really going to be the ingredient that is going to move the needle in terms of our mission, which is taking animals out of the supply chain. And that is creating cultured meat. And so with that, we founded Biocraft or rather we, we pivoted and rebranded as Biocraft. Biocraft being a pet food company or ingredient manufacturer that will be working with pet food manufacturers. So um, already companies that have a consumer base and we'll be working with them um, to move ideally large volumes of our product and to get our ingredient in the hands of as many people as possible. Now that, that makes a tremendous amount of sense. A few weeks ago um, when we were had a show dealing strictly with alternative meat, 
we were fortunate enough to have the COO of Upside Foods on the show. So Upside, as you know, was granted um, USDA and and other, you know, go-aheads to, to launch their product. So why don't you tell everyone the difference between cultured meat for humans and cultured meat for pets, plus the regulatory hurdles that you're going to need to go through? Sure. So in terms of ultimately, uh, I can one answer to the question is there is really no difference from the perspective that um, we're making a product that nutritionally speaking is is meat. Um, there are cells made uh, that are cells from an animal that are grown outside of an animal. And that is in the simplest sense, that is what cultured meat is. And whether that uh, those cells are consumed by a cat or a dog or a human, it doesn't matter. Um, so that's one answer to the question. But as you deep, dig deeper into it, um, then we start to then we start to see where there are differences. And some of those differences um, are largely due to things like um, how we actually grow our meat. So as a company, uh, Biocraft, which is really, really very, very focused on the nutritional element of what we're doing, right? Because um, humans are omnivores. So from a nutritional perspective, humans don't need to eat meat. Uh, but humans eat meat because largely it's a cultural thing. It's something that people really enjoy. Um, and so it's very important for the human food industry to focus on creating that um, that uh, three-dimensionality of the product, right? So a chicken, a chicken breast that looks like a chicken breast or a steak that sizzles on the grill like a steak. Um, these are really, really critical to for consumer acceptance of cultured meat for humans. When it comes to pet food, I'll just say for any people who have a cat or a dog, we we already know that pet food, um, it, it, it looks pretty disgusting in its sort of natural form or commercial form. Um, but what is critical is that nutritionally speaking, it is providing all of the nutrients that our cats and dogs need. And unlike humans, as I say, who are omnivores, cats in particular are obligate carnivores, which means that in the wild, their only source of complete nutrition is consuming another animal. And so it's very, very important for us, uh, unlike the human food industry focused on cultured meat, it is very, for, very important for us at Biocraft to ensure that nutritionally speaking, our product is um, as good as if not better than the uh, than the conventional animal based meats that are on the market right now. And so we um we do have the advantage of having sort of no downstream process in that we don't have to form our product into something that looks um, structurally like a piece of meat. Um, and instead we focus on, on, uh, the nutritional profile of our meat, um, during the actual growth of those cells. So that's, that's one, um, from a, I guess from one angle, that's a difference. Um, and then you asked about the regulatory piece, right? Uh, specifically when it comes to the regulatory element, uh, in discussions with, so for pet food, it is something called the Center for Veterinary Medicine under the umbrella of the FDA um, that will be regulating cultured meat for pet food consumption. Um, so we've been engaging with the um, with the, the Center for Veterinary Medicine, uh, we have a clear path to market. Um, it is a little bit different. So, for example, we don't. Um, if the USDA is not involved in um, in regulating uh, cultured meat for pet food. 
unlike the human food industry. Uh, so it's it's slightly different, it just in terms of the regulatory body and the viewers and the people, the reviewers, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, and we're we're going through the process right now. So we're making our way through it. Great. Um, I think that's a challenge that probably is a little bit more onerous for um, companies creating cultured meat and cultured produce, and, I'm sorry, cultured poultry for humans. Now, unless things have changed since I um, saw your presentation, can can you tell people um, how you get these cells um, from from the animals? Because it's not cows and chickens, correct? We actually started, yeah, great, good question. So we started with mouse, mouse being the ancestral diet of the cat. So interestingly, when a cat or a dog goes to the vet because they have some kind of allergy, either um, either topical, it's, it's on their skin or gastrointestinal, the first thing that the vet will do is swap out the protein source. And that is because the main allergens in most commercial pet foods, um, it's actually chicken or bovine or fish protein. And so in making cultured meat, we really saw this as an opportunity to grow the protein source that's most evolutionarily appropriate for our cats, and that would be mouse. So um, so we started with mouse. We have actually since, um, we recently announced that we have derived our own cell line for chicken as well. And the reason is because although although chicken is an allergen for many cats and dogs, um, still the majority of cats and dogs are not allergic to chicken. And um, chicken is the most commonly included ingredient in current commercial pet foods. So, um, so our intention is to uh, provide manufacturers with a range of different types of species or different types of meat, um, uh, depending on whatever the consumer preference is. Um, so right now, we our intention is to initially commercially launch with mouse, um, followed shortly thereafter with chicken. And for dogs, you were using rabbit originally? We we are working towards uh, rabbit will be the next uh, on our list. And yes, we will definitely um, we will make an announcement once we actually have uh, have fully derived and characterized that cell line. But indeed, uh, rabbit is also on our list. Um, if we sort of are if we think about things from that evolutionarily um, appropriate perspective uh, and it, as well as those protein sources that are um, that offer a, a hypoallergenic diet. Yeah, I, I can't believe this, but we are we are really out of time. Um, can you tell our listening audience where they can find out more information about BioCraft? Sure, they can visit our website at biocraftpet.com and uh, they can drop us an email there from there as well. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you uh, on the show. I'd like to thank Dr. Sharon Falconer of BioCraft Food. Um, for pets and and other you know wonderful species, um, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm Alan Weiner, your host of Food Forward, nourishing the world. We'll be back after this message. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher 
the mystery's deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Wiener crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Wiener. Writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. In the world of baking, timing is everything. And when it comes to sourdough, knowing when your starter is just right can be the difference between a perfect loaf and a baking flop. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce our next guest. He's the genius behind Breadwinner, a game-changing device that tells you when your sourdough starter is ready to work its magic. Please join me in welcoming the innovative and talented Fred Benenson to the show. Thanks, Alan. Uh, it's, it's wonderful to be here. That's, that was a really nice intro. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. And before we get started, I, I a couple things. I owe sure. you a public apology because initially in the piece I wrote about you uh, in The Spoon, I called you Fred Berenson. And, <laughs> and that was because way, way, way before your time, there was a hockey player on the St. Louis Blues, who was Arnold Red Berenson. So that's oh, wow. kind of stuck in my head. And also, yeah. um, we have one of your breadwinners, and my oh, wife, wow. who's been a sourdough baker um, for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, absolutely loves it, I have to say. Wow. So that's a nothing, really nothing like a Yeah, nothing like a warm endorsement from the wife. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. All right. So um, I know that, you know, we've we've talked about this before in the piece I wrote for The Spoon, but let's let's go back and talk about what inspired you to create Breadwinner. Was it, you know, uh, from the pandemic um, or was (laughs) it? Everyone always asks about the pandemic. Of course. I, I was working on Breadwinner in earnest, like had the idea, was working on a prototype before the pandemic started. So um, the full story goes probably way back to like 2009 or 2010 when I got um, somebody gave me a class for for a sourdough um, class at a, at a kitchen in Brooklyn Kitchen in, in New York City. And um, I didn't really know what sourdough was when I went to that class. I just thought it was like a tasty type of bread. I didn't understand the distinction between kind of old world traditional artisanal um, bread, which is what sourdough is, and, and kind of commercial uh, yeasted bread, which is what you find on, on most grocery store shelves. But by the end of this class, I was just so transfixed by the science and the biology and the and 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 the craft of it that I kind of kind of stuck in my mind and I started baking sourdough. Um 
you know, at home and I had a starter and um, that starter, I wish I could say I had kept it since then um, because that was, you know, what, 12, 13 years ago. Um, but my, my cleaning lady at the time got to it. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of your audience who has a sourdough starter is very familiar with the uh, experience of somebody coming across their starter in their fridge and being like, what is this goo? It looks, it looks rotten. <laughs> um, so I lost that starter, but um, I kind of kept up with the hobby here and there. And in 2018, I, I, I went back to it in earnest and I actually started, um, I'd, I'd come across the tartine recipe, which I'm sure if anybody's baked sourdough in your audience, they'll know about it. Um, there's a good New York Times write-up of this kind of famous like two or three day process of making this country loaf. And I was like, okay, I, I have the time for this. I just quit my job and I wanted to like pick up a hobby in earnest. And uh, I was living in San Francisco and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do sourdough because it's a thing that people do in San Francisco. So I got a friend's uh, starter and um, I was like, wow, this is a lot of timing. And I made a spreadsheet and I got all the timing sorted out on the spreadsheet. And I love, love making data about things. And um, I posted about the spreadsheet online and it got a lot of traffic on Twitter. And suddenly all these people were opening up my Google doc and I saw all these like people in there. I was like, wow, this is like, like people are into this. Like there's the, the kind of like data nerd side of sourdough is, is speaking my language. Um, and then I started hanging out on, on Reddit and watching people, you know, post about their loaves and stuff. And I saw people experimenting with um, different sensors and somebody was using an ultrasonic sensor to measure the height of their starter. And then somebody was using uh, computer vision where they had a webcam focused on their starter. And I was like, oh, I think there's a real product here. And at the same time, I was thinking like, oh, people really... Um, love the idea of like naming their starter and having this profile and like we have profiles for ourselves and we have all the social media presence like wouldn't it be funny if you had a profile for your starter online and then those ideas kind of came together and I, I was like oh i think i have to do this and i never made a hardware thing before um but i got enough encouragement from my friends that they thought i could do it and started looking to the open source hardware world again and i i fell fell into it and so i i, I i'm a kind of an engineer by training and I have a lot of experience building data. So I knew I would kind of have an advantage on, on that part of the product, but um, there's a, there's a lot more that went into it than that. Yeah, so that's, uh, the, that's yeah. the long and short of it. No, no, that, that, that's great. So when you were living in San Francisco, and by the way, my wife has a starter from the gold rush that she still Amazing. has. I know, I, I know of that one. Yeah. I've heard that story. Yep. Yeah. Um, did you kind of, uh, go to places like Acme and and others and try to get some tips, or did you you know just kind of do it totally you know, scientifically? It was, it was a little bit of both. Like like Tartine was they they just opened up uh, a, a store actually in the neighborhood I was living in the Mission called a Manufactory. I started going there and I was like, man, their bread is so good. And then I think there were one or two other bakeries that I, I came across in San Francisco. But the the real inspiration for me picking it up there was a friend named Tim uh, who lived in Oakland and he started posting like amazing loaves on Instagram. And I was like, man, Tim really knows what he's doing, baking bread. And, you know, at the point when I decided I was going to get back into it, I was like, I'll just ask Tim for him starter. And so he like literally rode his bike over the bridge from, from Oakland, dropped off the starter in a jar. And that's the one I still have now. So, you know, that was like five years ago. And uh, I, I, it's taken on a couple different forms. I started other starters, but um you know, I don't, I'm not sure how he got his. I, I never asked him that, but it was it was vigorous, and I'm glad I still have it. Right? Can you walk us through exactly how bread winner works? Sure. And there are lots of ways of determining, 
you know, when a sourdough starter mm -hmm. is ready, but mm -hmm. how does breadwinner do it? Yeah. So the device I tried to keep pretty simple. Um, other people, you know, would suggest like, oh, you should put a screen on it and it should have Bluetooth, but it's a fairly straightforward device. It has two sensors in there. One is a height sensor, which measures basically the top of your starter uh, because your starter is opaque. It can measure kind of where it is in the jar. And then there's a uh, there's a basically a thermometer in there. And the way Breadwinner works on a minute to minute basis is that it just takes a sample of those two sensors every minute and it records them onto the device. And then every 15 minutes, it syncs those with the breadwinner servers in the cloud. So when you take it out of the box and set it up on, on Wi-Fi, um, it kind of acts as like a regular IoT device. We actually don't have an app. Um, and that's kind of just my bias. Like I wanted to keep that part simple. Um, you just kind of have it connect to your network and then it sends you an email and then you kind of finish all the all the setup um, over over the web on a, on a normal browser. And that just was actually just a way for me to like kill many birds with one stone because I didn't want to make an Android app or an iPhone app. I just want to get the thing working. So yeah, once you uh, get that set up, you click it once and it starts recording the data of what your, your starter is doing. And you'll see the data show up on a dashboard. And then as your starter grows or doesn't grow, you'll see the, the kind of line change, but hopefully, you know, it's in good shape. And at some point it will grow to its peak is what we call it. And, um, and then it will kind of like, fall off and there's a kind of subtle algorithm that does a bit of you know detection about like okay has it reached its peak and um i mean i don't want to get too nerdy but it uses some basic calculus to figure out the first order derivative of the rate of change of of your starters um uh performance, I guess you could call it. <laughs> and then once that goes negative, once it kind of goes off a cliff, then it's reached its peak. And that's actually a pretty standard pattern, um, you know, that you see in across all starters is that they, they kind of like peak, like they kind of reach a either a plateau or they, or they kind of drop down because what's actually happening biologically is that the CO2 is getting produced by the yeast. And there are all these other byproducts that the bacteria are, are contributing to the to the starter at the same time. And there's all this like biological activity and the CO2 that's coming from the yeast is basically puffing up the starter and the flour and the water that's in the jar. And at some point that activity dies off and it kind of like it shifts into a different mode and there's no more CO2 getting produced. And then gravity starts to take over. The CO2 bubbles start to deflate a little bit. And, and the starter is kind of coming off its like kind of biological um, peak. And, you know, I've done a fair bit of research and reading into like what's actually happening um, biologically speaking in, in terms of the pH. And it turns out that it does correlate with the kind of like um, standard, like understood model of what the yeast is doing is, is it's kind of reaching this um, the stage where the starter's at like peak activity. And so right. as a baker, you're kind of curious like when your starter is ready and the, and the whole premise behind breadwinner is that we send you a notification at that moment and we give you a bunch of data saying it took five hours and 43 minutes to reach its peak and you can take that information as a baker and be like okay my starter is in good shape i mean reaching a peak at five hours is, is pretty good if it takes 24 hours you know your starter is pretty sluggish and i wouldn't bake with that starter and so the whole idea with it was to kind of help people get insight into what's actually happening because you know you put a rubber band on there um but it's kind of nice to know the real hard data at least that's how i feel and so definitely um, yeah you know. so let me let me ask you this 
Um, who are the primary users? And I, I know when we talked, you know, a while ago for the piece that I wrote, um, we were very focused on community and the impact of community. So who are the users of a breadwinner? And tell me how this community has evolved. Sure. So, you know, I didn't really know going into this who my main audience and target and demographic and users were. I, I kind of hoped that it was like anybody who had experience with sourdough or was just curious. And I think that's still basically true. But I think some of the people who have become the most kind of into it are a mix between standard nerds who like just having gadgets that record data, excuse me, and then people who are just kind of interested in kind of tracking their data and just like having a little chart for the thing that they did. And, you know, I've got some accountants who are seem to be really into it. And um, I, I still haven't, you know, figured out like the perfect breadwinner user, but I'm, I'm getting there. And, and, you know, it's pretty clear in the data. There are people I'm looking at them right now. There's like a couple dozen users who are, you know, they've had the device for, for a month or two and they're on their, you know, 50th feeding already, right? So they're it's like they're feeding it once every couple of days at that rate. And so that's really exciting. And we're still kind of getting to know each other. And, you know, we've got a Discord channel, which is an online chat community where people kind of pipe up and they ask for features. And so I've actually developed a lot of features um, based on feedback that I get from the community of people who are just like into the device and they, they want something, you know, changed a little bit. So that's been really fun. Um, we also have a public feed where people can post photos of their bread and like what they're using their star starter for. And so your starter has a profile on breadwinner and you can see all the bakes that you associate with it and you can kind of rate them and say, this is how this worked out and that kind of thing. Um, and it's really meant to be kind of the community backend for the hardware. And it's similar to the way you might use like Fitbit or Strava or, um, you know, any other data that you're tracking about your, your life. Yeah. I, I want to get to some of the uh, enhancements, but I, I want to kind of lean on your experience. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you you worked for Kickstarter, correct? Uh, yeah, a long, a long time ago. I was I was the second employee at Kickstarter, and I worked there for six and a half years. Um, by the time I left, I was the VP of data, and I was running a data science team, and we would do research on all types of things in the Kickstarter ecosystem, and we also built a lot of engineering to help Kickstarter work. So were there lessons that you learned while at Kickstarter that helped you in the development of your product, the funding, the marketing, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I, there's no way I would have done Breadwinner if I hadn't worked at Kickstarter. So there's a lot of ways to answer that question. I mean, on a day-to-day -day basis, in terms of the skills that I had as a as an engineer and you know running the data infrastructure at Kickstarter, um, I learned a lot about how to you know deal with like systems that were sending little bits of data <laughs> across the internet. And that's kind of what Breadwinner is and how to graph that data and how to make sure it was resilient. And, you know, when I did a lot of the early conceptualization around how the data would come from the device and go onto the web, I, I was just leaning on a lot of my skills from, from doing that. And I, just to go into one really technical detail, Breadwinner connects to a um, server that tells it what time it is because it doesn't have like a watch and you don't want to have to set it. So there's a natural uh, way to do that on the internet. And every time it makes an um, observation about what's happening with your starter or the temperature, it records the time as best it can. And what's nice about that is if your Wi-Fi goes offline or your batteries die and you need to replace them, every single observation that's 
made on the breadwinner device still has the correct timestamp. So even if it can't sync with the internet or the internet goes down or breadwinner goes down, once it comes back online, it will batch process all of those observations back up onto breadwinner and it kind of reconstructs them in the correct timeline. And that's like a really nuanced, like kind of trick instead of trying to record every um, thing that the device is recording in the moment, it it logs them with the correct timestamp. And I just, that's just a thing that I like intuitively wanted to build that way because of my experience with Kickstarter. <laughs> but then there's like the crowdfunding side of it. And right. I knew it was really hard to make hardware projects. Like I had never made a hardware project. I was friends with a couple hardware um, uh, creators, founders, um, and I'd seen how hard it was for them to, you know, get the thing from just out of the prototype stage to the what's called design for manufacturing stage. And that's this just complex part of the process that you don't really have with software um, where you have to make sure that the, you know, the injection molding for the plastic part is, is like angled in the right way so that when it pops out the top, it doesn't like get stuck and like all of these like nuanced manufacturing things. I had kind of seen that stuff from afar and I'd seen some projects hit the rocks at Kickstarter where, you know, we're talking like million dollar budgets and, and that terrified me. So I was like very conservative when I was building breadwinner in terms of like, putting one foot in front of another, making sure everything worked. And I had a lot of kind of engineering management skill that kind of helped me conceptualize that. But by the end of it, I was like, I can't do that manufacturing part myself. It was during the pandemic. I needed a partner. So I ended up finding a really great design firm, a product firm that helped me do that last mile. And I, I knew that was just a, a non-negotiable in terms of making sure it came to the into the world because I just, I, I wasn't going to be able to go you know, hassle, <laughs> you know, with a manufacturer on the production line in, in, in some plant somewhere. So that was the thing I just, I just knew was going to be part of the process. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like, I, I kind of knew how to make a compelling video and what I wanted to do there and how much effort it was going to take to do all that stuff. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it was just, they, they seem very linked in a way. <laughs> and they're both, they're both about starters in a sense, right? There's Kickstarter, which is named after, I guess, a, a motorcycle part. And then there's, you know, Breadwinner, which is inspired by sourdough starters. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, just off topic, what are you doing? Uh, what kind of day job do you have now? So um, aside from Breadwinner, which does keep me busy, I guess, a third of the week, I I, I am uh, I'm actually working as an investor. After I worked at Kickstarter, I switched to um, uh, working in Silicon Valley. I was working for an accelerator called Y Combinator, which is right. a um, investment company. And so I kind of dabbled with uh, investing in companies then, and you know took some time off from it. But then recently got back into it, and now I'm actually a, a, a general partner at a seed stage fund with a friend of mine. So I'm looking for other companies to go invest in, if that makes sense. Um, and, and that's, that's a little bit more, uh, straightforward, uh, uh, day job, if, if you will. I can only imagine since we're running out of time, why don't you tell people how they can get more information on breadwinner, how much it costs and where they can get it. Yeah. So, uh, just go to breadwinner.life. That's breadwinner.life. Um, and there's a big advertisement right on there where you can just click buy one and you can just order it. It'll be on its way. Uh, right now it's $125, but we're thinking about dropping the price for the holiday season. I'm about to get it up on Amazon and uh, it should be available there soon as well. Great. Fred, thanks so much for your time. Our guest yeah. has been Fred Benenson, the man behind Breadwinner and all things sourdough. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more on Food Forward, Nourishing the World.
from the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I am your host, Alan Weiner. Before we move on, I'd like to offer a special thanks to our guests, Shannon, not Sharon, which I said many times, Falconer from Biopets, and Fred Benenson, the man behind Breadwinner, the machine that does sourdough magic. Um, I want to talk from my personal experience about innovations, and I want to start with a rewind back to November of 1994, um, actually before the web really kind of took off and made a name for itself. I had just started my career as a research analyst, and day one, I was handed the assignment of doing a presentation for the company's um, semi-annual event, which they called Predicts. And I was supposed to talk about predictions for where this new thing, um, the internet, and in particular, the World Wide Web, which is a window that sits on top of the internet, in case you did not know. And I had actually never used PowerPoint before. So I have to thank my colleagues who walked me through PowerPoint. And my first presentation was probably not that great looking, but I think the content was pretty good. And in some dialogue with one of my um, really close colleagues, I, I wanted to talk about innovation. And we sat down and brainstormed what makes innovation. And at the time, I came up with three things, something that saves time, something that saves money or something that creates a unique experience. And I would like to add a fourth one, which is um, particularly relevant to the topic today, future of food, and that is saving the planet or doing something to benefit sustainability, climate change, what have you. So without further ado, let me talk about the innovations that I wanted to address. And um, some of them are, are particularly important. Others are, you know, maybe not fully baked. But the first one is, is one that I came across 
And I actually recommended it on the spoon as a holiday purchase for someone that you love. And it's called Lomi, L-O-M-I. And we may have the busiest Lomi uh, in existence. Lomi is a device, a machine, an appliance that takes um, material, be it uh, uh, nutshells or uh, things from produce, and it actually can do plastic, and it turns it into mulch. Um, and it's amazing. And I don't know exactly how it does it. It has a chart called filter. You can find out more about it and watch some videos. And it can actually reduce your trash footprint really remarkably. Um, I can't say enough about Lomi. Ours is, you know, in play almost 24 hours a day. The second one is something I would call accessible espresso, particularly for people who don't want to spend $10, $12 on an espresso at your local coffee shop. Um, this, these are machines that are either fully automatic or semi-automatic in their working where you either put in a pod or you put in beans and it does the rest for you and often has a milk steamer along with it. And a couple brands, we use Nespresso. I think we're on our third Nespresso machine. And if you've never been into a Nespresso store, if you have one near you, I recommend it. They'll walk you through the machines. They'll give you samples. But Philips makes one. A company called Casabrews makes one. And you can always find new ones that are coming out that want to do more and save you time and save you money and create a unique experience. I now want to talk about food delivery kits. These are, you know, things that come to you with all the ingredients in it and they save you time. Uh, I don't think they save you money in particular. And I also am not sure whether it's a unique experience unless you're just not someone who ever cooks. But for people who are busy or for people, for example, who um, are laid up with an injury or something, and I have a friend that this applies to, he, he would swear by his uh, delivery kits. I'm not exactly delivery kits. I'm not exactly sure which one he uses, but um, they are lifesavers. Um, next, I would talk about changes in packaging. And this is a big deal if you've ever visited um, a landfill or even a recycling plant uh, because they can't recycle everything. So let me talk about a couple companies. Um, one is called Alter Ego and they make sustainable packaging for organic snacks. And interestingly, the, the one that I really like, it's called Do Eat, D-O, Eat. And they create containers and packaging that are edible. Yes, they are edible. And they're highly compostable. And they are um, made from beer and, beer and potato waste. And we will have a, a show uh, coming up on upcycling, which I think is a, a really cool thing where you take waste from, from uh, organic material and turn it into something else, be it a bar or something else. Uh, another company is called Hummus Pack, and also edible, and they offer home compo compostable, compostable, uh, protective packaging like air cushions and compostable mailers. They're made from cornstarch, 
vegetable-based plastic and bio-based polymer. Um, I, I think these are great. The next innovation, and I think this is one that's just in its infancy, of course, that's artificial intelligence. So if you're not familiar with chat GPT, you should become familiar with chat GPT. There's a free version and a paid version. And you uh, ask it a question or give it a, a direction. They call them prompts. And for example, you know, um, you ask ChatGPT, write me a poem about compostable foods, and it will write you a poem about compostable foods. Um, also, or packaging. Um, it also, you can use it to get recipes. And what's interesting are a number of plugins. So if you have the pro account, um, you can add plugins, and these are third-party um, pieces of software that allow you to do other things. So, for example, um, there's one called CapCut, and if you're familiar with CapCut, you can uh, go to ChatGPT and say, create me a video promo for my company that sells e-bikes, and it will create a video with voiceover and captions. And then if you don't like it, you can do something which is regenerative. You can say, okay, I like that, but add, you know, color or whatever. Now, I don't know of any that are particular to food, but I am sure that, you know, by the end of, I don't know, uh, October, November, you're going to see more than one. So I really like ChatGPT. Um, an innovation that, that actually... Um, saves time and creates the most unique experience are these uh, cooking pals. I don't even know what you would call them. So they're like multi-cookers and they're all-in-one devices that do everything. The, the best of the bunch and the one that's been around the most is a, a, a division of a Thermomix, an appliance company based in Australia, and it's called the TM6. And my advice is go to YouTube and look up Thermomix TM6. And there's an Australian gentleman who, along with I think his wife and daughter, creates a number of things from scratch. It, it has a step-by-step um, -step direction, uh, add 100 grams of flour, and it has a scale built in, and it will do everything. It will knead, it will blend, it will chop, it will stir, it will then bake, it will then stir fry. These are pretty amazing. They can be costly. They can get up to two, three thousand dollars. Um, Bosch makes one as well. And then there's a company called Zippy, um, which makes one called the Cooking Pal, the Molto. Um, definitely one to look at. So um, the last one. And I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about this one because I think it's it's kind of uh, on the down from reaching its peak. These are devices or machines that allow you to uh, grow uh, your herbs or uh, different kinds of vegetables indoors. And Aero Garden, which I believe is now owned by Scott's, is the best known of them. And for example, they have the Aero Garden Harvest Indoor Garden Hydroponic System with LED grow light and herb kit. And it uses pods. And 
you can um, buy the pods through a subscription service and a lot of them have them, or you can make your own pods. My issue with these is that there's way too many of them. And um, I, I think the pod, you know, if I have to subscribe to something that doesn't allow me easily to create my own seeds and, and you know, experience, I'm, I'm not that keen on it. So um, I, I recommend them. They're, they're fun. And, you know, it's kind of cool to grow something indoors, particularly if you have no garden space and you don't have any outdoor space on a balcony uh, to, you know, grow parsley or chives or whatever. Um, I, I would start with one that's relatively inexpensive and go from there. So um, we're going to be back with something kind of special. Um, a bit of a surprise and something I want to talk about. So we will be back uh, with me uh, after these messages. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I am your host, Alan Weiner. Before we move on to our final topic, again, a special thanks to our guests, Shannon Falconer from BioPets and Fred Benenson from Breadwinner. Um, and as a reminder, next week, we're going to do a preview episode of a show that we'll be attending called Expo East of natural foods, uh, one that I'm gonna have to bring an extra suitcase for, for all the samples that I hope to collect. Now you've heard uh, a commercial um, that I created for some books that I wrote. And I wanna kind of talk about something that, that I'm pretty excited about. And it's the whole thing started during the pandemic when I was looking for something to do to bide my time. And during my career, I always had in the back of my mind, some, some book ideas that I wanted to pursue. And I found a course online from Michigan State University, How to Write Your First Novel. And uh, I took it. 
And $40 later, I have a certificate from Michigan State University, uh, Go Spartans. Um, and it led to my first book, which uh, was first of a series of three books, which you hear in the commercial. Um, and they're kind of loosely based on my life, my career. And the character, um, his name is Max Rosen. And the name is actually uh, a tribute to a relative of mine who I was particularly fond of. And I self-published those books with the help of, of an editor, an illustrator. Um, but when I was done my second book in parallel with my third book, I decided I, I wanted to write something that possibly could interest a publisher, something a little bit more rough, maybe something a little bit more contemporary, um, and something that had nothing to do with anything in my life. And lo and behold, I wrote the book Watchtower. And on September 28th, uh, Pegasus Publishing, a publisher, well-known publisher based in London with offices in the US, will be releasing my book. And if you go to uh, Pegasus Publishing and you look in the coming soon, you can actually pre-order the book uh, Watchtower, or you can, you know, wait until it comes out on Amazon and in your bookstores and and everywhere else. Uh, it's a a lengthy book. It didn't take me that long to write it. It took me longer to shop around and and get a publisher that could be interested in it. And the book deals with a a young man and the challenges he goes through. Um, living in a dysfunctional family. It, it starts in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It then goes to Phoenix, Arizona, and even a part that goes to Peru. Um, it's, it's my intention when I write to use places and scenes that I know. And my wife and I have been to Peru uh, a few times and know... Um, enough to be dangerous about the layout of Lima, Peru. Um, and um, I, I think that part of it is is really interesting and deals a little bit with technology. The other topic, and I don't want to give too much away, deals with another passion of mine, and that is watchmaking. Um, I have a watchmaking setup and took a course a couple of years ago in how to make a watch in one day. And actually, I'm wearing that watch as we speak. Um, so if you have an idea for a book and you want to write a book, and even if your intention isn't to make the New York Times bestseller list, I, I recommend that you take a course. And there's lots and lots of courses out there that you can um, you know, take and uh, you get community feedback. And you can't be afraid. People are, you know, as you do step by step, people are going to say things about your writing that maybe you don't like, but you can't be discouraged. Some of the comments I got um, during my time doing the course were like, you know, don't give up your day job kind of things. But I, I pursued and went through the course and, you know, got the discipline. You know, no one can teach you how to write. In the case of writing a book, it's all about discipline. Can you write every day? And that's what the course teaches you, how to write every day, how to segment your time, um, how to plan out the things that you want to accomplish. 
in terms of a log line and characters and, and everything. So I, I, I recommend it. And just kind of as a reminder, uh, next week, uh, our show, which will be pre-recorded, is a preview of Expo East Natural Food Show. As always, I want to let you know that the audience is crucial to the future of Food Forward. I want to hear from you. You can always email me at alan at foodforwardradio.com and or follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And as of today, our brand new website, www.foodforwardradio.com. So feeding your curiosity one bite at a time. For Food Forward, this is Alan Weiner. Until we meet and eat again. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Food Forward. We hope we've given you some insights into the wide world of food. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.